Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Um, I spent this week up in Auckland doing a, uh, an intensive leadership training uh, week. Um, I'm part of a program called Arrow Leadership, which um, it's a two-year program and you get uh, two weeks a year of intensive training up in Auckland. And so the day starts at 7.30am and it finishes at 9.30pm. Very, very centred, a lot of training, a lot of interaction. Except this week, I don't think we managed to start before 10 o'clock. Guess why? And so I'm sitting there with my arms folded thinking, really? I mean, seriously, it's not even yachts. What are they? And, and, And Chris Grantham, who's leading it, kind of turned around and made this comment. He said, oh, you Aussies are just not used to winning anymore. So I really kept my mouth shut after that. That was a, that was a humbling leadership lesson right there. Uh, um, we're getting into Psalms uh, again. We're going to do Psalm 23. Before, before I get into that, um, have you noticed how fearful how culture has become? Have you noticed that? It, it seems like we, that is us, like to thrive on the sensationalism. Media has to be, it just got to take that extra step to get our attention. And there's always, or well not always, mostly bad stuff. The weatherman who says the storm of the century is coming. How many times have they said that within the century? And you're expecting three feet of snow and what comes? Just a bit of a dusting. All the kids are upset and they still have to go to school. You know, but there is this fear that builds up. We see it in our media. The agents of outrage, front page of Time magazine, you know, blood red with, you know, wow. I think the little subtitle says there, an embassy attack, diplomats murdered, the new calculus of violence against America. Oh, that's intense. Um, The Times, um, Japan feels chill as crisis deepens. On the side there, jobless rise as growth prospects falter. I mean, you read the news and you've got to be depressed and you've got to be fearful about what's going to happen next. Muslim rage. You know, that's not hard. Look at that. That freaks everybody out. Well, what about this one? Everyone remember Y2K? <laughs> who was fearful of that, huh? For those of you who don't know, apparently there was some little bit missing in some sort of computers and at the turn of the century, everyone's going to freak out and all the computers are going to shut down and life as we know it would stop. And, you know, even Bill Clinton had to address a symposium on how to prepare for Y2K. Well, guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. All the hype and the fear and the anxiety that was created over something, that at the end of the day was really nothing. Breaking news, scientists announced that pretty much everything can kill you. (laughs) Thank you. I feel so much better now. (laughs) but the thing that really gets me is this news whistleblower can't allow the u.s government to destroy privacy and basic liberties this news has captured the world it's got everybody upset people are uh, protesting i was in australia my my best friend in sydney and and he was so mad about this oh how dare they invade my and i was like what are you hiding 
I mean, seriously? You think the US government cares about your emails to me? Do you have something there? Oh, it's my privacy. But just stop and think about that for a moment. Really? Okay, yeah, what they're doing is wrong. I won't question that. But really, that's been no different for the last 50, 60, 100 years, really. It's just they got caught. And frankly, I have really nothing to hide. Okay? You want to know my waist size? You want to know what emails I'm sending to my mum? She has a Facebook. Everyone can see what I'm doing in life. I mean, there is this fear. They're attacking us. And so we automatically get all closed up and fear and anxiety just overwhelms us. And we forget that our trust is not based on those sensationalist newspapers and headlines. Our trust is in who? And who's greater than anything that can happen on this earth? Yeah? Do you believe he protects even this little bit of... Well, I haven't got much hair left on my head, but even the little hair on your head, he'll protect that? Do you firmly believe that it's God that chooses the moment you pass away? That it's in his power? You know, you hear the slogan, in God we trust. But do we really? Because we seem to be swayed very much by people who have ulterior motives and the fear and the anxiety builds up within us. We, we latch on to that completely. So looking at Psalms, and some people just take Psalms for granted, but man, the deepness of each of them are incredible. They tell a story. Psalm 1 we saw a couple of weeks ago gives us the foundation for our relationship with God. Psalm 8 last week, we talked about, you know, humanity's place in God's creation. And this week, we're going to be looking at Psalm 23, which talks about one primary thing, trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? First thing I want to look at is, do you trust God to provide for you? Um... Do you trust God to provide for you? Uh, starting from verse 1. Uh, everyone know Psalm 23. It's most probably one of the most famous verses, both in the secular world and in the Christian world, because of some of the verses in here. But here's, here's the opening. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I think I've shared this with you all before. But do you know, for David who was the writer of the psalm, who lived in a town called Bethlehem, and he was a shepherd for many, many years in the hill country around Bethlehem. Do you know what green pastures look to a person from Bethlehem? Do you see that little bit of green there? That's green pastures. This is the springtime in the hill country just out of Bethlehem. And you can't see it, but the one thing that was fantastic is as we were walking along these edges, you could see shepherds off in the distance, cradling the hills as they're herding their flocks. And this was the best time of the year because the grass was out. The ground's rocky and sharp, not all that comfortable. And yet for David, that was green pastures. In a bleak landscape, to see that bit of green 
brought joy to him. Do you believe God can provide you, provide for you, even within the most bleakest of times of your life? Would you be happy with the shoots of little green that it pops up here and there instead of demanding a whole hillside of greenery? Do you trust God to provide for you? David was quite happy with those little green shoots. Here's another shot. You can just see those green patches. Um, The hillside, I mean, it, it doesn't look like much. But our teacher at the time was telling us, this is about as green as it gets. And it actually looks fantastic, he was saying to us. He said, you know, in the summertime, it's totally barren. They have to nibble at whatever they can get. But right now, it looks fantastic. He was actually quite, quite amazed by how nice and green it was. And we're all sitting there, most of us from New Zealand, thinking, really? You call this green? <laughs> kind of scratching your head thinking, okay, whatever you say. You know, we're used to those green rolling hills, the beautiful lushness of our country. Romans 8.32, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave up, gave us Christ, also give us everything else? Everything else. Now, you've got to be careful here. People take this and think, oh, he's going to give me everything. He's going to give me a car, and he's going to give me a radio, and he's going to give me this, and he's going to give me that. No, no, no. They're perks. Okay, God's going to give you life. He's going to sustain you with what you need. He's going to love you with the love that you need. And that's more valuable than anything you may possess, anything you may have. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. The Lord is my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Do you trust the Lord? to provide for you? Do you trust him? The second part, do you trust God to guide you? Do you trust God to guide you? Now this, I believe, is most probably the most important verse in the whole psalm, but none of us really take note of it that much. He guides me in paths of righteousness, righteousness for his name's sake. This is actually the crux of it all. Okay, if you're looking at this psalm, you can get really carried away about me, 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 me. But there's actually this one little thing that's just thrown in there. He guides me for his name's sake. Oh, it will come right back up. He guides me for his name's sake. Now, what does that mean? It will mean in just a moment when we get that verse up. But um, any of you heard that verse in Ephesians in 3.20? It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. Or in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everyone's heard those verses, right? A lot of these people, a lot of us Christians interpret that about all the things that we can do in Christ, right? Build great buildings, do great ministry, right? 
But you know what? Paul's not talking about the power that, can, that God can do through us, but the power that God can do in us. Because that's the greatest thing that can ever happen in the life of a human being on this earth. You could build monuments, but you know what? A thousand years from now, you'll be fortunate if they're still standing. Who has ever seen the ruins of Nineveh? You haven't seen it because you can't find them. Babylon. All that's left is dust. Rome. Some old buildings that are rotting away. The greatness of who we are over time fades. But what doesn't fade is what's changed in you. And the impact you have on people around you is a change in you. Not for yourself, but for God's glory. The world wants you to change for your benefit. You know, throw those headlines up again, right? You can be all you can be. You could be this, you could be that. Aim high, do this. But God wants you to change for his benefit. Does that make sense? Made by God for God. Made by God for God. Your little tag behind your neck. It's not made in China. It's made by God. And a little proviso underneath that says for God. Each and every one of you. He leads us for his name's sake. Trust God to provide for you. Trust God to guide you. And trust God to protect you. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I've got to say this. I'm going to say we Kiwis, but... We Kiwis really don't understand what shepherding is all about by Bible standards. Because here you've got lush green lands. What's going to attack you? A rabid kiwi? Do you, do you guys have rabid kiwis? No. No, they just peck at you anyway. I mean, really. What's going to attack you? A rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> A dog. Yeah. Really. I mean, seriously, think about it. When you're shepherding sheep here, the worst thing you've got to watch out for are the drivers. It's not saying anything about kiwi drivers. Anyway, you know, there's no fear. There's nothing to worry about. And even as people in this land, we really are pretty protected. I mean, yeah, we've got our, our problems. We've got problems with crime and we've got problems with the economy. We've got problems with this and that. But on a world scale, we're, we're pretty protected. So when it comes to this verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does that mean? For David, it meant something like this. Do you see the hills? You see how sharp they are. You see the shadows spreading across the valley. During his time, there were lions. 
Because of the influx of people, they must probably moved up from the south. Samson, we, talk, we hear about Samson killing a lion. We hear about David killing a lion. Benaniah chasing down a lion into a hole. So there are lions there. And the problem when you go through the valley and you've got all this sheep, I mean, sheep never listen to you, do they? You know, the poor guy's got to get these sheep through and the, the ground's not flat and lush that they could just run. There's rocks everywhere, so you've got to be careful. So when you're in the valley... And the lion's up the top, looking down on you. Who's got the high ground? You're in trouble. It's like that verse, I look my eyes up to where? Why? Exactly. Because when you're in the valley, where do you, where do you look? You look up. You've got to look up. For David, looking up meant watching for the enemy. But later on, you're looking up, not watching for the enemy, you're looking for your help, and the help is found in the Lord. And that's the challenge we're faced with, because our lives are just like this. Our lives are just like these mountains and these hills. That while we're up top of the hill, it's great, because you've got the view, the expanse, you feel safe. But once you get into those valleys... They become amazed. And as it gets dark down there, you don't know what's up. For some of us, that's experiencing the loss of a loved one, the difficulty of the work that we face, the frustration of our children or our parents. Sometimes it's deeper, it's ourselves. We question ourselves and we find ourselves in those deep, dark valleys, afraid of what might attack us. Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. Question I've got to ask you is do we trust the shepherd or fear the moment? Do we trust the shepherd or fear the moment? You know, we have. And, it's, you know, I love reading, and those of you who know me love reading. I love knowledge. Going to training this week was great. You know, you glean from people, you learn more things. But being a Christian, it's not just about learning. Being a Christian is actually being able to enact what you learn. And where God challenges us, he goes, do you trust me or do you fear the moment? Because that's when your Christianity hits the road. That's when you put what you've learned into action. And no matter how much you know, if you can't put it to action, then the knowing is useless. We have too many learned Christians and not enough active Christians. Some of you have heard sermons for how many years now? Some of you who, who take it even further, you don't go to one service, you go to two or three. So in a lifetime of a number of years, that's a lot of instruction. But does that equate to action? Does that equate to action? I'm, I'm giving you a challenge here. What does that look like for you?
But the challenge, first and foremost, is look your eyes up to the hills. And where does my help come from? Because once you see the Lord up on that hill, what direction are you going to go? Huh? Which direction are you going to go? You can go straight for him. You can go straight for him. The next part of that verse is your rod and your staff. They will comfort me. 2 Timothy says, For we are not given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The staff of a shepherd worked both well, as a staff and as a rod. A rod was to beat off all those lions or animals or hyenas or wild dogs, whatever it might have been, that would come and attack the sheep. Guess what the staff was for? To beat the sheep up. <laughs> Keep you in line. Okay? I mean, that's the truth of it. Because it's not easy to, to, to herd sheep. And frankly, it's not easy to herd human beings. I'm as rebellious as any person in this room. And don't smirk at me because you're just as rebellious as me. We all have our little quirks. And if you get us all in a room, we're all going to go off in different directions. For the Lord to keep us on his track and keep us in unity, sometimes he needs the staff. And unfortunately, that word discipline has been hounded by society badly. Badly. To our detriment. I don't want to be youth pastor today, to be honest with you. I can't imagine the kind of troubles our leaders have to deal with, let alone parents. Because discipline is looked upon badly. I want to challenge you. There is godly discipline. Helps us to be humble. Uh, I was, uh, my poor friend, I'm, I'm picking on him today. He's got two little girls, gorgeous little girls. And he got mad at them one day. Uh, you know, little kids. I've got little girls. Little kids running around and, you know, they make a mess. And they make a decision while they're playing that, that caused a bit of problems. And Ed got really mad. And he sat down with me and he said, Rob, I can't get over these kids. Man, just want to smack him around. And I kind of looked at him and I thought, I, I understand him totally, because I felt like that several thousand times. Um, um, but I said, you know, it's funny, as parents, we're quick to want to smack around our kids, but we don't like to be smacked around ourselves. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you don't get it wrong and that you now mature. So it's quick and easy for us to pick on the young and kind of smack around. Hey, straighten up there. You can't do that. But when we do it, when people do it to us, we don't react very well to that. We don't. I don't. Who here does? Let me know because I'll pick on you. No, I'm kidding. No one reacts well to it. Why? Because we are who we are. But part of our growth as human beings 
is to allow the Lord not only to use the rod to protect us, but the staff to guide and grow us. Because we don't know how far out of line truly will hurt us. You know, I had a friend of mine, another friend, you know, and, and we were just talking hypothetical. Oh, if a, a kid put, if my kid put their, their hand on, on the stove while it was on, I'm going to let them have it, let them do that so they'll learn not to do it again. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Why, why would you do that? First of all, it's hot. Their finger might stick. What kind of damage is going to happen to that kid? No, man, I'm going to get that hand, I'm going to smack it. Why? Because I'd rather give him a smack and frighten him for that moment so that that doesn't happen to him. The kid doesn't understand that, do they? Did I say smack? I oh, know. Don't say that in this society. Anyway, a little tap on the hand then. But I'd rather do that and frighten the child than have him scarred for life because I want to teach them a lesson. For the kid... They think, oh, evil dad. For society, arrest that man. But once the kid gets older, thanks, dad. You know, it's the same in our relationship with God. We get upset when God's trying to mend and mold us, chipping away at us. Oh, God, why are you doing this? And as we get older, we tend to realize, I'm glad he did that. Who knows where I would have gone? Who knows what I would have done? You with me? If you're not, you can say no, by the way. Okay? Our growth stems from our obedience and acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. At the end of this psalm, we find this last trust. So we trust God to provide for you. We trust God to guide you. We trust God to protect you. And the final thing is to trust God to cover you. The difference between protecting and covering. You know, protecting is an act. I'll stop them from this or I'll protect them from that. Covering is kind of a motherly embrace. And we hear it or we read it in these last verses of the psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a covering. He is covering you in his spirit. He's basically saying this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what he's saying. You know, you're going to walk through the valley, but don't worry. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You know what? There'll be times in which you're going to wonder where those green shoots are going to spring up in life. You're clinging on to some sort of sustenance. He's going to provide for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. There are going to be times in which you're wondering what's going on. Am I being thrown about here? And he's going to tell you, don't worry. I will guide you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. And this is a common theme throughout the whole Bible. People tend to pick out all these negative things out of the Bible. Let me give you some positives. Abraham, I am with you to what? Jacob, I am with you to what? Israel, I am with you to what? 
Jeremiah, I'm with you. Judah. And what does Jesus say? Come on, that's got to be encouraging, right? Don't tell me there's nothing encouraging in the Bible. That's just, I just picked out a few little things. He's with you, he is with you, and if you want, just trust in him. Psalm 23 shoots out to you, trust in the Lord your God. He will bless you, he will keep you, he will strengthen you, he will deliver you, he will save you, and he will be with you to the end of the age. He will guide you, he will provide for you. He's your God. So next time you turn on the news and you see the world is ending, because it seems like that every week sometimes, just open your Bibles and go to Psalm 23 and be reminded of the promises the Lord God has for you. Bless you, keep you, strengthen you, save you. He will be with you till the end of the age. Anyone want to argue that one? Anyone feel just a little bit secure in that? We saw in Psalm 1, hey, these are the foundations for relationship with God. Psalm 8, this is who you are and the scope of the universe. He's made you special. And in Psalm 23, he's, he's telling you, not only have I made you special, not only have I set you apart on this special planet that I created in this universe for you, and that I specially made you. Who here is not created in the image of God? Huh? Every one of you here is created in the image of God. You are special. And now in Psalm 23, he's telling you, trust me, I am always with you. Through the highs and the lows, trust me.